0: The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Metagamers Anonymous, a program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related material and a presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Joe.
1: And I'm Vanessa.
0: And this is episode number 292, One Goblet to Rule Them All. Uh, The topic I've selected for tonight that we're going to discuss is treasure as a world building exercise, but um, because I wanted to make it sound nice and clinical, not interesting at all, but we'll get to that. Uh, And I'm sure that we may or may not touch on the topic in one way, some way, shape or form. So if it doesn't come up the entire episode, somebody remind me to mention it at the very end.
2: Okay, perfect. Because I (laughs) like the title.
0: So uh, real quick, if there's anything you would like to add to the conversation you hear here on the show, uh, we would always love to hear from you. We do have a Discord server where you can drop in and, uh, uh, join the conversation there. The, those notes, those, those links are in the show notes. Uh, or of course you can drop us a line at feedback at prismatic for the 12 people that still use email feedback at prismatic We love you. Please uh, call that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's true. It <laughs> shows like social media. Fuck you guys. <laughs> no <Yeah>. way. <laughs> I had a MySpace
2: back in the day, saw how pointless it was, and avoided all social media since then, and really glad I have, because that is just too much drama.
0: Not needed for our hobby, so you're good. Not needed for our hobby. I mean, useful, because we use it. It's as a utility. Right. You know, it's a little tough to include you in things sometimes, Mm -hmm. Joe. We have to take the extra stab.
2: Yeah, but but that also means I don't have to see the constant stream of drama. Drama, drama. It's a good move, just saying.
3: We're, we're in the middle of a game on discord
2: right now kind yeah, of yeah yeah it's i mean how else dramatic. would i know what elon musk is up to somebody remind me I, I, I need to kick ken's
0: ass because he hasn't posted all weekend i i will thank you appreciate it Jonica keeps asking has he posted yet <laughs> i think I'm a, I'm a little busy dear. you have access to discord too <laughs> the reason yeah, yeah. <laughs> funny how nobody else feels like calling anybody else out i wonder why that is uh Reason I've been busy a lot is because we have TsunamiCon coming up. So just a real quick mention of that. It's coming up October twentieth through twenty second. Do I have the dates right? I think I have the dates right. I think uh, so. In, yes, you have the dates right Wichita um, Holiday Inn. That's a Kellogg and Rock. If you're in the area or you know the area, it's pretty easy to find. Uh it's a great hotel. We've been there before. We were there in twenty fifteen, so we're back for our tenth event, tenth annual event. And uh if you count our virtual cons, which we do because we can. So if you don't like hey, it, hey I fuck have you.
2: shirts from them. it counts. Yeah.
0: I did shirts. That's right, absolutely, and dice. I did dice too. Yes. So, well done, sir. Uh, some people even have their dice. I've still got a box of them for the people that didn't <laughs> ever get they're, around to getting them shipped to them last year because I kept moving and shit. They're uh. in in there right now. In, 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 you're pointing at, for the record, Joe is pointing at something behind him.
2: Yeah, there's a uh, cabinet behind me that has uh, about twenty two hundred dice. All the dice in it.
0: All the all the oh, so dice a yeah. oh, small part of your collection.
2: <laughs> Again, great for an audio podcast. But I just got new dice. They're cheese, and they actually have little like indents for I, cheese. I have oh. a set of cheese dice. I like uh,
3: my cheese dice. How awesome!
2: Mm. Those just showed up in the mail like a couple days ago. <laughs>
3: when when you're playing a cheesy game, you need cheesy dice to roll.
0: Don't get to use my dice enough anymore. Like ninety uh, percent of my gaming is online. Uh, and so the people I get to roll my dice with are my family, and I, I I swear my kids have gotten so used to doing gaming online that when we started using real dice at the table, it's like, what are you doing, Dad? I'm sitting at a uh, table. i have got it, but you've got your computer in front. <laughs> when
2: when you cast meteor storm, I have my storm, character sheet on my phone. <laughs> casting meteor storm feels so much better rolling 40 d6 than pressing a button on a phone. Oh hell
0: yeah. Or
2: just blow up the castle and say that it was a meteor swarm. That works too. Right. Do you think a meteor swarm could
0: do that? Can a meteor swarm flatten a castle?
2: I mean, it's 40d6 of damage in a 40 foot radius, and then it drops, I believe, either three or four meteors. It's really, you can take out an army.
3: So you can take out a small castle, for sure. A large castle, you might
2: have problems with. Because I think it's, if I'm remembering right, it's been a long time, but I think it's 20d6 fire and 20d6 force damage.
0: I blew up a castle at one point in um, my Monday evening game. It's been several sessions now, but I didn't explain how that happened exactly.
2: No. You know, PCs, blew some up. of the
0: PCs were in it. Some of the PCs were not. The ones that were not heard the explosion <laughs> would run it and found a castle. Oh, or it. no.
2: That's no, right. You I weren't was at the bottom of the it. hill. I was at the bottom of the yeah. hill. I ran up to the explosion. That
0: was the point of the drama is the party was separated. So some of them were like, did the other survive, right? You know, yeah. That was, that was the whole point. So uh, people do great.
3: run to explosions.
0: Okay. I still get confused oh, yeah. with that. That's, That's where cool I pulled outfit.
2: out my scary shadow spawn to help dig out everyone and everyone got scared.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't really, um, it, is that really help at that point? You know, if, best if, I you could got, do. if you got 50 laborers, uh, you know, work, working on moving the rocks and you send in a shadow creature that scares them all the way to move the rocks. Have you added to the effort at that point? Hey, just but, out of curiosity.
2: But I helped. It might've hurt overall, but I helped. <laughs> Well
3: done!
1: Congratulations, sir.
3: <laughs> as long as you get credit, you're doing good.
2: Yeah, it's actually one of the Again, things that social really... media was for. It was more just to get my picture so everyone can uh, like it online. That's what matters, nice. isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah, it's popularity contest.
1: See, that reminds me of your cowboy character when we were doing that one savage thing, and that was awesome. Oh, the gunslinger! Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, my super like... arrogant, not so great of a gunslinger.
1: But he was such a fun character. I don't know if
2: I ever said, but I mean, I'm assuming you guys, are more, at least most of you, have seen the movie The Quick and the Dead. You're you not going to find one? a whole
0: no. lot of Western fans in our group, okay. but I have seen it, yes.
2: I, I fully based my character off of, I think his name was Ace in that one. The Yeah,
0: you told me about he it. Was a, yeah. He
2: was a decent gunslinger, but he was definitely more arrogant than how good he was. And that's, that's who I was thinking of when I made that character for that game. It was great.
0: It was fun. Fun character. Uh, fun game. It's kind of an ooh, interesting, quirky game. I actually took a, like that, that world concept. Um, so I have a couple different like series of scenarios that I run at conventions. And uh, one of them I set in that world. I called The Dark Road. And that's that's that setting. So what I do when I do that is I write up those characters or versions of those characters, some framework of them, right? The clockwork girl, the gunslinger, the the uh, dream thief. You know, some of the ones that were played. The sky right. dancer, whatever it was, sky's yeah, character,
3: sky dancer, yeah,
0: uh, sky singer. I think it's what they originally was. Probably.
3: Oh yeah, because um, she was music, and you you made it a dancer. Is what you did.
0: But uh, so I write those up and kind of let people put their own spin on those, you know, characters, nice. obviously, for the games because it's fun that way. And yeah, right. uh, yeah, I did that at the most recent game day. In fact, that game I ran was in that setting with those characters and uh, somebody played the guns. Like, I think James, our friend James played the gunslinger. Awesome. So, oh, fun. Uh, very different. You know? but, yeah. But I mean, that's that's. It's just, you know, it's just easier <laughs> yeah. Coming up with original characters I <laughs> so just gotta write up a pass well, that's PCs like, hmm.
2: It's like, I know Vanessa has a lot also of Like playing in Peter's games when he always runs them A lot of his games, it's the same characters I've played some of these characters four, five, six times But it's hmm. fun seeing, oh, I know this character the, the This is, this is Tex, he's the, everyone knows Tex But then someone else is playing Tex and it's completely different I, I, I like it when he
1: runs the games with kid characters, because everyone plays the kids different.
2: Yeah, uh, of,
3: course. <laughs> I, of course. I've i played the same character in Peter's game two different ways, because I like to bring something fresh to each game. All right.
2: Whenever I'm playing his games, I don't look at the character sheets. A lot of times, before he even puts them out, I'm like, give me the third one in your stack. And for some reason, I've played Lady Smolly Smoot like five times. <laughs>
1: Lady smalley Spoot is a good character, just saying. Yeah, she
2: is.
0: <laughs> and he's, he, when he tells me about his games, because uh, he runs of these sync scenarios, of course, at other events, including Gen Con. He tells me about these games. He talks about those characters by name at this point. Oh, when yeah. he's telling me about them. And so, I mean, I've heard all about her. But every time, it's somebody different playing the character, of course. So, same, same. And maybe one of the things that inspired me to go ahead and do that with my scenarios, to kind of repeat those characters. I don't think I've had that happen where people have come to my game table and Play the same character. Um, well, no, I take that back. I had, At Midwest Game Fest, I've run some of my Lonesome October games, like in, a, like in Serial. And like we had one of the two of the same players that, that kept coming back. I don't think they ended up with the same characters, though. I think they ended up playing a different character from the same group and somebody else played the character they had played earlier. So that was kind of fun. But yeah, good stuff, though. Um, yeah, so Tsunami is coming up uh, October 20th through 22nd. Uh, check it online, TsunamiCon.org. Link is in the show notes. Um, of course, we have a uh, this week our schedule's opening up to everybody that wants to register for games. So by the time you hear this, you can get on and uh, sign up for games. The schedule is up. There's a lot of it there. There's going to be more. There always is. We'll get plenty more added before uh, showtime. But I'm telling you, it's a pretty good schedule already starting out. Right. So.
2: Because I'm manager. a bad person and I haven't put a game on there yet, even though I keep meaning to. No.
3: Vanessa's got. I'm
1: one running up. ten candles, just saying.
3: Yeah. Ooh, I've pretty there much blocked go. my blocked my weekend out already. Have you? Do you have it where it's already yeah. open for the early? Yeah.
0: VIGs, yes, yeah.
3: So okay. yeah. So
0: while we are recording, Joe, you can still get on there before most people do.
2: <laughs> yes. So uh, while we're recording, I will be probably signing up for a ten candles game. It's Saturday afternoon. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> I got another one. <laughs> uh, then Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Something changes, Perfect. That
0: one we're actually running offside of the burrow. Okay. So, which easier. Vanessa, it wouldn't hurt for you to—I mean, completely unrelated to anything else, by the way—but I mean, it wouldn't hurt for you to touch base with Derek sometime before that weekend and remind him just to kind of make sure that yeah, it doesn't happen. And <laughs>
3: oops, <laughs> I do love the burrow <laughs> yeah. though. Yeah, And
0: since they're a sponsor,
1: I mean, it's good to bring business to them.
0: They've been so good to (laughs) us over all these years. I mean, I realize it's been a very, um, what's it, synchronistic, synergistic relationship. Um, We've had such, uh, we had a lot of great events at their store. Brought a lot of people in to game with us and uh, get to know the store. And I know that's great. But um, he's dumped money into the convention every year uh, that we've had a physical convention. Has been lovely. i really, uh, really appreciate uh, Derek and his family for making that possible. And the burrow is in this particular case just down the block. So right. What well, I mean, you could, you could virtually. I wouldn't because it's a you know big intersection. We could virtually walk there in the con for that game and then back across heavy
2: traffic. Right. If if that Rock and Kellogg intersection wasn't so crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, not a good idea. That's it. I'm likely going to drive, although yeah. I have a big enough vehicle that I could take most of the people playing with me. Huh.
2: Hey, as long as we don't have to start the game in the car, because I do not want to have to light the candles and then carry them inside. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go.
3: Bad no, idea.
1: That no, sounds no, like no, a no, terrible it idea. It's funny, everybody
2: idea. died on the way to the store.
3: I don't know what <laughs> happened.
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: I no needed way. some air and I rolled down my window. I am sorry. <laughs> Speaking of like indie games, because
0: um, there's a couple of Dread games on the schedule now. Um, there's your Ten Candles game. There's a couple of Lady Blackbird games on the schedule, or variations thereof. Uh, we're going to see some interesting stuff
2: this year. As I say, it's, it's to the point where it actually took me a minute to find the Ten Candles game, which is a good thing. There's so many games on here right now. Yes. I know, and there could be more.
3: I
0: was trying to remember what it was. Um there's something that jumped out at me that's particularly uh innovative there's a bunch of vig games now too you guys might keep an eye out for those you can sort on there by like where the game takes place like the lounge or if you can't you can definitely like say vig in the keyword search
1: yeah there was a call of cthulhu game for vig that i already signed up for i'm not changing that i like Call of Cthulhu. (laughs) dude she's run
0: that scenario once before that i know of and that was at Mm -hmm. the holiday inn in 2015 i kid you not that must be what inspired it and it was hilarious. That one is actually recorded and up on our actual play. If you go to the Metagamers Anonymous actual play series uh feed and search back a little bit, find uh, Call of Cthulhu game that was run live at Sanamicon 2015, and maybe not listen to it before you play it because it, I, I was right, right right right. right. Don't I don't if it'll it. ruin anything for you. Because it, it was a very, it's, it's a scenario that very much relies on what the people do, but it would obviously give away some of the core stuff. But uh, if she's doing the same stuff, it was amazing. It was, now, in that case, it was also way off the rails. I mean, it was completely off the hook because uh, It's Big, Eli.
1: It's going to be.
0: And and <laughs> and Nira was in it and was, like, playing to the hilt with her character, and uh, Big Mike was there, and he just fomented so much
2: chaos. It was just crazy.
1: It's a good game for chaos. I'm just saying.
2: You think? I think um, yes. So I still have yet to get a play call of Cthulhu. I really need to play that game. I yeah, really it's definitely enjoy an experience it. you should have at least once. I
1: like Call of Cthulhu. Um, if I, don't I could love find the people that would, if I could find people that would want to play it, I would a hundred percent play it or run it. But uh, so many people are just like don't like the sanity mechanic. Hard pass.
2: There's a Fate game in the morning Actually, like of Saturday. That would be a good game, I think, to go right into Ten Candles after a Fate. <laughs>
0: Fate is uh, is is Sean running that. that? I think Sean's running that. Is it his or somebody it's else? The squirrel it's,
3: boy. Yep, that's Sean. So yeah, Sean. Okay, <laughs> okay. I'm in. I'm in a game with him then.
0: That's something everybody needs to realize. By the way, um, tabletop events, the site that hosts, you know, the the web, the online information for the specific convention, including the signups. You know, you know, when you buy your badges and everything, you have to have an account of course for tabletop events. So everybody does. When you sign up for a tabletop events, you have a username, which is not your name. Well, they have changed a setting somewhere to where you now have the option of utilizing as as uh, a game master, having your handle listed instead
2: of your name. That's why. Is that why it says V Voth for you, Vanessa, instead yeah. Yeah. of uh-huh. your name? Okay. I was wondering why I didn't if say If you wanted to change back to your
0: name, you have to go into your account information, your profile, and it's an option there. Uh, Peter found that for me because his were saying, like, in Solo or something, whatever his username was. Yeah, I noticed and that. And people I didn't know his games. I would
1: rather it be that. So. I figured
0: out it was him real fast. <laughs> I think a lot of game masters that, you know, want people to find their game and because it's them, you know, you're going to want to use your actual name if you can. Yeah. Um, but that's just a thing that I thought I'd make sure you knew. If you ever have any questions, signing up for or navigating anything on the site, definitely feel free to drop me a line. Um, I'm getting <laughs> a lot of practice talking people through stuff, but it's not I it's not that you. complicated or anything. So don't be intimidated.
2: No, it's actually a really good site once you figure it out for being able to find games and get on them.
0: So I'm hoping we're going to see more board gamer stuff too. It's got a ways to go. Anyway. Um, I didn't want to spend a bunch of time on TsunamiCon because I, I have a tendency to rattle on about it, but I did find some of the, the indie games that are popping up this time to be interesting selections.
3: There's a lot of
0: interesting you stuff You don't have on the to map. stop
1: talking about TsunamiCon. I'm okay talking about TsunamiCon, yeah. Tsunami just saying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm more worried about the listeners who all they ever talk about is their damn convention I
2: can't go to or something like that. You know? Well, then get to it. We have visitors it.
0: all around the world, guys. I know. Visitors. We have listeners all the around. The, they don't visit. <laughs> we have listeners all around the world. Um. So, I mean, as as much as I, I want to be able to talk about our games and our convention,
2: because, damn, you know, that's, that's the good stuff. Yeah. Um. So anyone who can, though, get here. I mean, there's a lot of good games, huge board game library, and a completely mm-hmm. full vendor hall to waste all your money in.
1: Not um, waste. Spend.
2: <laughs> right. Spend
3: yeah. all, there's all your a money. Lot money. A, lot of, a lot of good, useful items in our vendor halls this year. A lot of
1: Okay, so Eric, quick question. I'm changing it to show my real name. Do I have to click save or anything? Or does it I don't just know. do what it? What the hell because do I know? I, don't I just I clicked, it it anyway.
2: and it, I clicked it over and it automatically saved for me. I okay, like, cool.
1: Okay.
0: Most, actually, most of the stuff in Tabletop Vents, yeah, as soon as you make a change,
3: it auto-updates. Oh, it says Vanessa now when I look at my game.
1: Cool. That works. Thank you. Yep.
3: Badass. <laughs> you guys figured it out. Good job. Well done.
0: Boots, woot.
2: Oh, I didn't even know, Richard, you're in that ten candles also. Yes, cool. yeah, yes. I'll yes. be the one shaking the table. <laughs> nice. I figure it's going to be a little warm. I'm going to be one, the one in there with a fan. Uh,
3: I have I have a, a cordless fan I'll be bringing with me.
2: Perfect.
1: <laughs> you guys just you, love making You friends. guys really do want to watch all of the players just have eyes <laughs> as big as
3: dish plates just staring at the candles. the shit, candles yeah. off the whites of their eyes, it puts more light in their eyes. Right. Oh, my God. Every time I've run
1: it, there's been at least one person, like, hard staring at the candles. That was me. (laughs) Yes, it was.
2: It was great. Because I was directly across from you. I'd be, like, terrified, and you're across laughing at me. That's because me. You were also the one farthest away
1: from the candles. Mm -hmm. You were as far away from the table. I don't even know if you touched the table.
2: No, I I moved all (laughs) the way. And you'd be like, oh, need a roll. I'm like, I don't want to. I'd have to (laughs) touch the table. Right. The only, only I don't time even know I did if you touched the table dice.
1: when you rolled. Like, you picked up the dice so carefully and you rolled uh-huh. them so softly. But Justin <laughs> and I talked
3: with our hands because there was already a lot of flailing going on yeah. right next to and the, and the then There was. Then someone,
2: would, <laughs> then someone would open a door and they'd all waver and flicker. So we're saying if you're going, you should play Ten Candles. It's a great game.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Well, this is 100%. why we thought we should go ahead and have the game in the convention hall. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like Nobody around anyway, right? I mean... Uh, Vanessa, you're at table twelve. <laughs> Good
1: That'd <luck>. be great, <laughs> especially in the middle of the day. I mean, when everybody's moving around, it'll be awesome. We
0: figure your game will last about ten minutes, and then you have the rest of the afternoon free. Perfect, if that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, we do have a couple of special guests already lined up. for running games. Uh, look for games by uh, Casey Christopherson from Frog God Games. Uh, is going to be running yeah. a game on Saturday. Um, James Pigeon Fielder uh, He's from up in my neck of woods now. He lives up in the Colorado Springs area. And is going to be running a couple of paragons, prowlers paragons games and doing a panel on Saturday afternoon. He's from Mobius Worlds publishing. Uh, he used to be, he used to write stuff for uh, the company that Sean Patrick Fandon was with, who was, uh, our guest at the, uh, 20, whatever convention it was that was in 2019, the last live one yeah, before the pandemic. So <laughs> I can't keep my ears straight, but uh, he's a neat guy and, uh, he's super excited to be there. We have the Dungeon of Doom back this year. The last oh, time we had that awesome. was. Yep. Joe will remember that. Uh, that was at the, uh, uh, the Median Shrine Convention in 2019. And uh, he's uh, bringing out the full thing and some help and stuff and going
2: to be doing it uh, doing it right. I never and got a, a chance super to excited. play the Dungeon of Doom. Right. Did some running. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I walk up there and he has four players and all four of them are players from my game that I was running at the Burrow at the time. And I make just an offhand joke. I'm like, man, I feel like I should be running this because they're all my players. And he went, okay, come around here. He just hands me his board and says, all right, go ahead, kill him. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. <laughs> he went, all of my minis so are right much. there. So they're much this. to work with. Yeah, yeah, he just pointed a giant pile of minis. He said, they're all whatever level at that point, And said said, try to kill him. And I went, all right. And I ran it for like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes until I killed all the players. And then we moved on. That was the only, so I never actually got a, Play the Dungeon of Doom. That's kind well, of cool. Have also, the it Dungeon of
1: Doom at Midwest. Also,
2: yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, I thought yeah, I recognized it.
2: Yeah, Doug Howard runs it. He's a
0: he's a great guy. He used to be uh whatever the title was for that position, a coordinator or some sort for when Wizards of the Coast did their um, organized play thing for D anD. D Oh yeah, That yeah. was going on for Fifth Edition. Uh, that they don't really uh, what's it called D- Adventure League. Adventure yeah. That They don't really do anything with it anymore. It's still there, and now it's now you buy all the stuff through like DM Guild and all that. Yeah, but uh, he was like the coordinator for the Kansas City area back when Ken was handling it for Wichita. So I got to know him through Ken and through all that. And then, you know, got to be friends, friends through um, uh, Joe Don't Listen social media. And we connected right. there, talked a bit and, uh, you know, it just seemed to be it just seemed to be a really kind of fun guy. Just really fun loving lots of great energy. So then went to went to a couple of conventions up in Kansas City area where he was you at know, and checked out a setup. And that's why I made sure and got him down that, that one time before uh, when he was able to make it in 2019 with his uh, set, because it just was too good to pass up. You know, what do I got to do yeah. to get you to Tsunami Because we're just down the road, man. We're just down the road. But he was at Midwest Game Fest this last time when we went in December last year up in uh, Independence, Missouri. And uh, we had a good time. We had a really good time. And uh, Gabriel went to that convention and end up uh, kind of standing there and talking, to, talking his ear off for an hour about dinosaur stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Doug was real good with the kids too, is my point. There it was real go. good when he when we had the kids at the con the last time too. Uh when when there was that story about the girl that the Dungeon of Doom that did such a great had such a good time, little girl. Let's see. Uh yeah, so uh what do we got? Mike Fessinger's gonna run some games. Uh, Aaron Grindstaff has something on there now. Uh, Sean nice. Eli, of course. And um uh uh, Bill Brown is going to be running his Supernatural Hunter. He's got a booth there and he'll be running, some, running one or two games as well. Got to play in one uh, of those Nick, of course, who Nick, of course, who comes out and runs interesting games like Genesis and uh, Star Wars stuff, things like that. Um, I haven't looked at all these guys. I mean, I've looked at it, but it's I mean, been a minute and I've gotta been dealing with a lot of these games. Uh, and of course, uh, Matt uh, Harrop, is that his name? Yes. He's coming down from Kansas City. We're running some uh, Dread and Lady Blackbird one that I talked about. Um, and then several new people. I mean... Uh, someone that I've seen at the convention before, some that I haven't. Jam- uh, uh, J- uh, Jimmy from uh, the Arkansas crew is going to be running a game. I'm uh, super pumped oh. to
1: play Dread with Matt, Michael and Lynn. Um, I, I know Michael's
0: life. running at least one game. Uh, I think a couple, actually. Uh, Gary Thomas, who was at our... Um, here I am throwing out full names, like I usually try not to do on Metagamer's Anonymous. You know, because it's anonymous. But uh, <laughs> Gary, who sat at our uh, uh, my table... At the game day, this recently, the one guy in the room I didn't know previously, is running a game as well. He's running a Shadow Dark, I think. Oh, I see a typo in that. I'm going to fix it since I'm looking at it.
2: Because <laughs> that's, I'm that's that guy. the time to
0: fix it. Well, I'll forget if I don't. I get making myself all kinds of notes and just get lost in the sea of notes.
2: <laughs> I said we're getting close to Tsunami Con. How many sticky notes are on the fridge? <laughs> what fridge?
0: No, I'm not even <laughs> <laughs> not even going there, my friend. Not even going there.
2: <laughs> We need uh, a second so fridge. was <laughs> like, yeah, if you can still see some of the fridge, you're doing good.
0: Uh, we got some Conan on the schedule, some alien stuff. We got, like you said, some Fate and some Cthulhu gaming. We got uh, uh,
3: a lot. I just realized of that I am also in Fate
1: before my 10 candles game. So Joe awesome. will get to see a
3: lot of me. <laughs> if you want to try a different system could and check watch. out what else is out there, this is definitely the place to do it. Yes.
0: Yeah, I think that's been one of the great things about it. I um, normally
1: try at least one thing that I've never tried before. Sometimes more than one.
0: I, <laughs> know, I mean, really I'm like trying. More. I really like trying new games, but I since I run I run games all the time. Um, I find that I don't want to run a bunch of different systems. I mean, I there's a That's fair. there's a couple. I mean, like anybody, I've got my favorites, right? But I keep coming back to D and D and Savage Worlds because they're the ones I like the best and know the best. That's uh, fair. And you know, it's just, I I guess at some level I got to accept that, right? I mean, I I could probably run a lot more cipher than I currently do as well.
3: <gasps> There's a new cipher You could totally our, run more cipher, just saying. Mm. A horror cipher thing I saw. Oh yeah, the 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 new
0: Kickstarter they got going on? Yeah. Holy cow. Um, I'm like, I wish I had the money for that. Kickstarter's backer kit.
1: Don't um, start talking about kit.
3: Kickstarter. No, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's how I end up broke. <laughs> it's, it's probably already in your email, Vanessa. <laughs> Don't say that. It's actually, it's it's
0: called the Magnus Archives. It's yeah. uh, currently on Backer Kit. And I haven't backed it because Backer Kit, I'm like, Kickstarter, you pay immediately <laughs> when you back yeah, it. Yeah, I don't
3: have so. the money right now.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, I've uh, gotten a lot of emails about that.
3: We'll see if we, uh, you know, no, I, it before I mean, it ends. I mean, I've even mm-hmm. already started working on another game system last weekend, and I was working on that more this weekend. Who knows if I'll actually finish this one. But I did finish the last one I started, so this well, one's a little more complex. Oh, it's it's an exercise in how can we mess with Eric because it actually uses percentile dice, but it uses them in a way that I think is more sane than a flat percentile roll and i've got that's
2: a big e- claim eric just <laughs> eric just get d100s because then you're not rolling multiple dice it's right there oh, so i'm, at the,
3: I'm at the point i'm at the point in the game where i've got enough information up that i can see how it's coming together but if i tried to explain it to you now it would sound like a horrific complicated mess so i've got to get that cleaned up but it is still interesting. I'm doing a bunch of stuff with the percentile dice because, for all real intents and purposes, when you're doing a percentile against a percentile, the first die is the only thing that matters for most things that you're doing against. Especially if you're like just everything's plus 10 or minus 10. You know, it's plus one, minus one, which is literally the same thing as plus two, minus two in D and D because D10 to D20.
0: Here's my biggest complaints. And I mean, they it, it obviously won't apply universally. My biggest complaints, I think, with percentile based systems and the GURPS and, and like the old, um, I mean, some of the old, some of the old systems, they run on percentiles. Um, the, uh, the, one, when we have the kinds of systems that we usually use, like D and D, which is a pretty still fairly flat, like a D twenty is a flat roll. You know, meaning there's no curve, no that roll, no probability curve. You're just as likely to roll any number on the die as any other, theoretically. Right. But it's- we tend to skew high in terms of our expectations. Like we don't you, you, not for very you, when you're very starting out with a character low, very low level in D D, for example. A lot of your rolls have to be kind of middle road or a little better in order to be accomplishing stuff. Tougher things obviously be higher. Easy things will be lower. That's the way it works. But mostly as long as you roll like a 10 or better on the die, most of the time you're going to be successful. Generally speaking, I don't need statistics, but, um, as you get, as you progress with the characters, progress with the game, that number starts to go down, you know, and so you get to the point where you really, you don't suffer in on average until you are until you are rolling like six or less on the die, you know. It, and then again, it's different for everybody. And so, the, and the math in fifth edition is so much flatter than it was in previous editions. There's a lot more right. containment on that. I mean, there were definitely I'm, in third edition, you know, 3.5. I'm plus eighty
2: seven to hit. <laughs> <laughs> by the time
0: you Dude. get, I mean, by the time you get to fourteenth level, everybody just needs to make sure they don't roll a one, and they're fine. You know, it's just kind of the way it works. But uh, and in those, those days needed to go. I mean, that's a thing. In yeah. percentile systems, most of them seem to want to skew low in a lot of this stuff, low to middling. I know that's not universal, and there's always going to be some things you're good at, a few, that you're going to skew high on. But most of the time, I think in order to make a percentile feel like it matters, those numbers tend to skew kind of low. Which kind of annoys me because if you have to roll a 40 or lower on a percentile die to accomplish something, that's not just a 6 out of 10 chance that you're going to fail. That is 60 fucking numbers worth of die roll results that you can get that you're going to fail. The difference between an 83 and an 87 is negligent. There
2: is no reason for it. You might as well just roll the d10.
3: Yeah, which is, which is where my, my system's focusing on high die, low die separately. The low die actually is more of a roll off if the high die ties. Oh, that's kind of cool. And then the low die also affects the, um, the effects of a success and, um, or damage. And see, that's almost more of a, two separate dice i see where you're getting them together it's kind of working but it's still rolling off a percentile it still has a feel of percentile underneath because if you both hit a six well okay but you got a nine on your on your low die and i got a two so the nine obviously wins and then at that point if you meet again if we've got that one percent chance that we both roll the exact same number which is probably not right but whatever then the person who initiated the action wins
0: and my other um, complaint, which is less relevant, I think, but still a, a issue for me, is how flat the percentile systems are, because there is no curve in that at all. And right. system that's based on that huge, broad platform of numbers, but is is flat in its response, really gets to me for some reason. I like a game where the probabilities show you something. Now, D yeah, and D, again, you're using a your D20 most of the time. But like your ability scores, for example, were built on a yeah. presumably curved
2: result. A right. lot of damage but- is a curve because it's like 4 D6 damage. Right. So you're again, right. yeah. exactly. <laughs> utilizing some the
3: techniques, changing some things around, even changing what the high die is from a D10 in certain scenarios. I'm creating different feelings of that plus the modifiers, but I'm trying to limit the math at the table down to a single adjustment and See, then you're there on goes my because idea. i don't want to sit here and add up 18 numbers just to figure out if i made it or not
2: i say there goes my idea eric obviously likes having a little bit of the curve in there so i was gonna be like every roll is 3d 100s and you have to add them together and <laughs> <laughs> no wow don't do that
1: one of my buddies from work actually just shared a rule set for a role-playing game with me that is percentile-based, but based on the percentile you roll will determine where you hit, and where you hit will do different amounts of damage.
3: Joe, it's it's a percentile system, but you have to roll 10d10 and then add those together. Perfect. But you can't that roll sounds under 10.
1: That absolutely horrid. Right.
3: I think
0: I mentioned GURPS, too, and I'm not sure if I remember correctly. It's been so long since I played, it may not be. I know know Call of Cthulhu. I know Call of Cthulhu, the basic role-playing system, was percentile-based. but Yeah. Um, so, a lot, I mean, a lot of, like I said, a lot of traditional games, Stormbringer and, um, uh, RuneQuest and, uh, Marvel Superheroes was, you know, percentile based. I mean, there's just been a lot of them. It was, it was very popular for a while. Yeah,
3: it, it was. And, and, and I, popular. I like to have the percentile have meaning. And I, I get that point where you're like looking at, are we just rolling percentiles against each other? Because that's not, that's no, not the, giving me the feel that I'm good or bad at something.
0: The irony is that when I first got into Savage Worlds, one of the things that kind of annoyed me about it a little bit, I mean, not annoyed me, but uh, I, I questioned whether I was going to like it. Is that, well, you're, and you're not rolling that many dice at once. Mm-hmm. You right. know, I mean, I'm rolling a D6 and a D6 and only one of them matters. I mean, you're not even adding them together, right? Um, it so it's like me. I'm rolling a wild die and whatever my my die roll is. It's like, so I thought that was going to be kind of like boring for me. But the swinginess with the exploding dice, you know, yes. as you, when you ace dice rolls, you you roll. Which if you don't know, you roll max on any die in almost any function in uh, Savage Worlds. You then take another of the same die, roll it again, and add it. And if you get max on that one, you do the same thing at infinitum, and, and then and you the get really, matter.
2: really fun stuff happens, like killing the big bad evil guy with a potato. That's true, <laughs> but I mean. In the system, that
3: I'm that kind so of a so out of the blue. Right? It is. It is a real example. That's the worst <laughs> it, 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 part. It happened
2: to me in Vanessa's game a few yes. years ago. I killed her bad mm. guy with a potato. Yeah, okay, I think
3: I remember that. But it was a swing.
1: potato nuke.
3: but, yeah, uh, I, but my yes, di- did like thirty
2: some damage. My damage that I exploded like four times in a row.
3: But if you get enough combination of different bonus effects on what your rolls doing because of your skill and your and your gifts and whatever's on your character. You could end up where you're doing a roll of the moment, and so when you're doing a moment roll, you're literally just rolling um, three or four D10s, depending on what's all going into right. this, and you pick which of the D10s is your high die and which one's the low die, um, which makes a lot of difference because one of the other things you get is that if the high die and the low die are the same number on the actual die before modifiers, you get a boon, which will affect... Uh, bonuses you get in combat which gives you that little surprise of oh yeah, yeah i got this something extra
0: oh cool it's actually kind of one of the things i liked about like um the stunt dice system in the uh
3: age system i the dragon age had yeah it touches on, on the, the, like the stunt dice but doing it a little differently but yeah
0: yeah it's it, i mean and I, I even then i felt like that was a little clunky but it was uh interesting i can't i couldn't deny
3: that it was interesting
0: yeah <laughs> But
3: um, so yeah, uh, it'd be fun to see an execution. Then I mean, as always, well, <laughs> we'll see how far I get it written up. I'm I'm trying to write up backgrounds, and I think I've written up about twenty-seven different genres. So I just need to actually put one together.
0: Nice,
2: good idea. And because I, so. I overthink all everything, all of that, and you'll maybe use it for one one shot. Probably not. <laughs>
3: But well, my you know, my I mean, improv RPG is still up and and there, and I've ran yeah, it a few times. If you
0: have oh, yeah. a good time, that's fine too. Yeah. I mean, you may not be your inspiration may not as a game as a game master designer. Your inspiration may not carry you past that point. If you want to run it a bunch, you'll run it a bunch. I yeah. mean, that's that's kind of yeah. the thing, right? I have a system I've been working on for a few years now, off and on. I've gotten a lot done on but nowhere near enough for me to feel like it's fully fleshed out beyond basic playtesting. And so, and, and right. of course it actually walks hand in hand with my, uh, novels. And so I wanted to make sure I kind of wanted to make sure I get it right. And I keep wanting to do playtests at, at, uh, Sonomicon, where I know I can get a good, you know, crowd of people that aren't my everyday players necessarily. Cause I get and you guys. Probably to some everyday stuff, players. And probably right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, every time I think about doing it, like, so what game slot do I think I can be away from the floor for four hours? Huh, none. Oh, well, that was a bad idea. Every time it's a bad idea. I love <laughs> running games at the con because I don't get to game with these people. Right. You know, and uh, it used to be when I put up a game, the first people to sign up would be the people that come from like all over the country that listen to the show, which was the best part, right? Now yeah. I'm kind of like not that special to them anymore I think, you know. <laughs> They're all like, Aww. "Oh yeah, we know Eric now. He's not that interesting." He just he seemed it on TV. Um no, it just it's just like things change. You know, it's it's the it's the radio curse. It's like um when you're when you're in radio, Brian knows, when you're in radio, people know you. They think they know you. So they'll run into you in various places, recognize your your voice or whatever or your name and start talking to you like they know you. But once they get to know you, they realize they don't know you
2: and you're not that interesting. Yay for the parasocial relationship. Parasocial.
3: Hmm.
0: Yeah. It's Which a, is, you know, again, yeah. social media. Perfect for that shit. Yeah. Uh, unless you're Joe. Okay, so moving on.
2: <laughs> I mean, the, the smart one.
0: Is <laughs> that... <laughs> yes, uh, Is he the smart?
3: Dear God, is he the smart one?
2: I know, it's scary, isn't it?
3: (laughs) Did you autocorrect smart from lonely? Because I'm trying to figure out how that came together.
2: I mean, those go hand in hand. Are you telling me not to be mean? How does that
3: work out? Yes, I'm telling (laughs) you not to be mean. (laughs) I'll stop breathing right now. Joe. (laughs) Joe's my hero. Be nice to Joe. Joe likes it when I abuse him.
2: Oh yeah. I'm I'm, I'm here true. for the beating. Might be true. Oh my.
0: <laughs> Explains why you keep coming back to my game sessions, obviously. Right. right. With with three women, I might add. We're the only guys in that game. Yeah. <laughs> and uh it's it's nothing but beatings. So yeah. Uh speaking of which, Joe, I, I um we've we've hit something of a landmark in that game. <laughs> you
2: guys got a castle. Yes, we, we have our own castle now.
0: We, now I, I don't know what the hell to do with the game anymore. <laughs> I mean, I do in the grand scheme of things, but. We, we like,
2: have a castle with a massive pile of a dragon's hoard of gold right in the middle of.
0: Oh, oh hell oh, yeah. Oh, oh, you got to support a castle somehow, so. Mm-hmm. You just deserve pilots. all that. You earned mm. that. That's not a problem. <laughs> you, well, you know, yeah, You earned that. I got no issue with that.
2: Yeah, we had one of our players con a dragon into helping us.
0: Mm. You had one no. She did that all well, yeah, on her own. She did lonesome. that all on her own. <laughs> she didn't consult anybody.
2: <laughs> that was insane. Not me, sh- not another player. <laughs> that should not have worked but it did and it's great.
0: So uh yeah, that was uh wow. that was insane. But we've um we've gotten to a point now it, it's funny. You go back to like the very early editions of d d and there was always this kind of construct in the, uh, like, first edition of the game, the zero edition of the game. I can't remember whether the original D&D really kind of touched on it or not, but I know first edition AD&D did, where they, they had a thing called name level. And, uh, name level was the point in which your character was assumed to kind of be in that position where they would maybe build a stronghold, require a stronghold, get followers. They would have like, this is the point in which they would be most likely to have henchmen. There were mechanics for it in some early editions of the game. You know, first edition, again, particularly um, heavily, although <laughs> first edition mechanics left something to be desired. Right. But, I mean, they would have a chart, actually, in the Dungeon Master's Guide in first edition where it was like, um, when they get to name level, um, here's what level their cohort should be. Or no, they didn't call it cohort. Their henchmen should be. Cohort, I think, came along in third edition what well, level their henchmen should be, and here's how many followers they should have, you know, based on their level and class and all that stuff. Like, it might have been class. I don't know. It's been a while since so I've looked at it. But it was um interesting. I did, I mean, I did play some campaigns, run some campaigns back in the day that got to those levels and yeah, did see characters start doing that. But in first edition, typically followers, especially, and henchmen to a certain degree, were largely canon foddery. If you took them into the thick of whatever you were doing, they were going to get killed. That's generally the way it worked. Yeah, yeah, um, perfect. And there were class constructs that had them built in at other levels, like the Cavalier construct um, that was a you know an optional class in the Under Canna book for first edition. Cavalier came with like pre-installed followers. They had like their their groom for their horses, their horse, and their like armsmen and. You know, all that stuff. I remember uh, Jonica played a low level cavalier in one of my campaigns back then and had a retinue. And of course, being Jonica, they all had names and personalities, and she was trying to piss me off. Right. But <laughs> times have changed. <laughs> she succeeded? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> times have changed. Um, So now this concept doesn't actually exist anymore. But because I've been, you know, playing D&D since the days of yore, to me, there is a certain quality about it that I like in terms of it's just its basic kind of equity. The characters have reached that point. The characters in that game are ninth level characters, D&D characters, ninth level characters, which was for most characters in first edition, quote, name level, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, they, this was really kind of appropriate at the time, because even the, back then, I, I don't know if, if Richard, you might remember this, Brian, you might. Um, they had like uh, like s- level titles on these charts. You yeah. Remember that? yeah, I remember that. So if that. you're like a cleric, you started as like an acolyte and you moved up to like you, know, so they had like, you know, somewhere in there you were a bishop. I mean, you had all these different like level, like levels you brought with it, titles. In some constructs, a hierarchy really made sense, like a church. You know, religious hierarchy is something we are accustomed to Catholically. But uh fighters, they still did it, but they were just kind of picking cherry picking fighter-y terms, you know? Yeah, yeah. Wizardy terms, you know, stuff, et cetera, et cetera. It was fun. It is what it is. But like that that name level usually was the name that that's when they got fighter, cleric. <laughs> druid. including mm. druid Elf. name levels, like twelfth level. What? <laughs> no, not not original D D. <laughs> Elf was actually I'm, they actually had races. I'm finally an elf. I'm finally an
3: elf, which
0: is a term I think we're going to get rid of at some point. Very you know, fairly. soon. I'm surprised they haven't yet. One D and D still has I think race listed on all the playtest material, and um, um, that's not a popular term anymore.
3: There was no they heritage, switched the name. And I'm trying to remember what heritage it is.
0: for the most heritage. part heritage heritage.
3: Yeah, you're right. That, that's, that's what everybody's I been doing. I can't spell it, but Pathfinder okay, whatever. Already
0: did it. I think. Um, it's fine. Ancestry. Ancestry is one. I, I'm fine with that. I, I mean, I never had a problem with race, of course, because I'm, mean, is what they are. Unlike they're comparing it to racism in in our world. And, um, it's actually, not same we're not thing, different. Cause we're all human. We're different races. We're all one race.
3: Yeah. <laughs> we're different right. ethnicities. Yeah. I'm definitely not an elf. I, on the other hand. I do have, uh, over 80%, uh, more, um, Neanderthal DNA in my DNA than most people that have taken 23 and me. So, you know, I'm, I'm fairly Neanderthal, I guess. But not enough for half because it's still like less than, and 6%, whatever. Ridiculously low. 23. How reliable is that shit, you think? I mean, I how scientific I do you think it really no, is? No, it, they constantly keep yeah. updating it. So, it just, I mean, based, obviously the more data, the data they get from
0: like people sending stuff in, right? I mean, the more consumers they get yeah. to take advantage of it, the more data they'll have. On I mean, the other sure. hand,
3: it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because at what point, like astrology at a certain point where you put enough data into it, you're just going to start expecting this out whenever you have this in. And that is just going to be what it is for whatever it means.
0: Not, not to mention, aren't we all from like eight different like chromosomal kind of combinations or something like
3: the I help know, groups? Anyway. Yeah, the help groups. Whatever they, they is that a all word? That's, what, yes, help? it's help groups. Sounds like sounds like you're crying for help. I know, yeah. <laughs> I know. Anyways, yeah, because they could trace back lineage on your lineage. another good word, <laughs> your mother. <laughs> um, Through uh, one of those goes through mitochondria, and the other one goes. Oh, the other one goes through the Y chromosome, which definitely follows your father's line, because you're never going to get a Y chromosome from your mother.
0: Not typically, no. That's that would be really unusual.
3: Well, I guess I should not say never because uh, genetics is weird.
2: It's just rare.
3: There are XXY people out there. There are people. Mm with all kinds of it, variations. It's going to be
1: extremely rare. Yeah. It
3: is
2: yeah. rare. The, and the more we understand it, the more questions it creates. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, so That's why math was so much better. Science is like, well, most of the time math, two plus two is four. It's just easier that Actually, way. Actually, it's two point, or it's three point <laughs> nine, 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 <laughs> nine, nine, nine I'd say, nine. We'll, we'll start changing the bases, and that gets a whole different issue, but... Try not to dwell on it. But still, I mean, it's, it's bad for there's you. no hard, fast rule I mean, in science. It's is always zero like really a time. number? Right.
0: <laughs> or the absence of a number.
3: Then again, I have a friend that refuses to believe in imaginary numbers, and I'm like, but my imaginary number got me through college. What? Hello. <laughs> 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 I had imaginary numbers in
0: college, too. Um <laughs> no, we don't talk about that. No, they were from Canada. <laughs> is, is that what it was? Canadian numbers. Uh, yeah. So the other thing that happened because you just mentioned it, Joe, that's kind of one of the things I want to talk about a little bit this uh this uh, episode Um is we had we had a dragon treasure. So yes. if you run D and D games, I know this is kind of a D and D centric conversation, but I mean obviously it is applicable in various ways to different systems or stories, just depending on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But in, in, in the fantasy sense, classic fantasy sense, all the way back to Tolkien, where, um, in the, uh, <laughs> the movie version, we got it in, in huge physical reality in a way that doesn't exist in any way, shape or form in the, um, in a rational construct, you know, because there was so much freaking treasure and smogs hoard in that movie that you can, yeah, I mean, there's no way. Yeah, because then you can like Getting that out of that mountain would have destroyed any economy you could possibly (laughs) But you need enough gold that you can ski down
2: the side of it
0: Yeah, absolutely But uh, Toka's (laughs) description of Smaug included Smaug's Horde I mean, that was And and I did love some stuff that they really focused on in those movies I mean, I know that the Hobbit movies are a little controversial Because there's good and bad things about them and There's about an hour and a half
2: of good in the, what, six, seven hours? Something
0: like that, yeah. yeah. Oof. Um, actually, I actually found a lot more to like after having watched through it a couple of times. Because my youngest loves them. And so I've I've now sat through them even more recently. And when you start letting go of some of the the, the bullshittiness that they did, yeah. the movies themselves can be very entertaining. There's still so a lot of unnecessary shit.
2: There is out there, you can find a fan edit where they took all the movies... And just cut out all the bullshit, and it's just what was in the books. It's and I think it's called the Tolkien edit, and it actually makes a decent about two hour movie. Nice. Oh, interesting. I would watch that. Um, you'd
0: probably have a more successful time than the other than the the trilogy versions, wouldn't you?
3: I, I think I finished the first one, not the extended version, though.
0: But we're, are you talking about Lord of the Rings? We're talking about The
3: Hobbit. We're no, Lord of the, the Rings. The I never made series. it to The Hobbit. Sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. The, this is the Lord of the Rings. I watched this stuff from the, sorry, the 70s Hobbit. or this, 80s. This is they took all three Hobbit movies and made one movie out of it. I could deal with that. See,
3: and
0: you could cut out most of the third movie if you wanted to kind of stick to what the book gave you, because um, the Battle of Five Armies—that is almost the entirety of the third movie—was mostly not described in the book because Bilbo was knocked out. Right, like he got knocked 10 out minutes into the in. fight, and um, he we, the movie the story was told largely from his perspective. So I mean, like he wakes up and it's pretty much over. That's the yeah. whole thing. So, but you know, we're making movies here, right? So we are going to have the battle of the five CGIs in huge epic glory, <laughs> and it is going to range all over the mountainside. And they had some beautiful sets. I mean, I I thought they did an amazing job with some of it. <laughs> I'm trying not to be bored, but you know, right? Amazing. The interesting thing. My youngest. Favorite part of those movies, favorite parts of any of those movies is those huge battle sequences that are like the one thing that I mean, OK, fine. It's it's interesting to watch, I guess, for a minute. Um, if I'm not feeling into it right then, I could do without 90 percent of it, you know. But I do like watching fantasy battles for a minute. I do like that. I mean, I, I think it's the same excitement I get out of it in gaming. Right. Is, is that whole imagining that whole thing happening. But it's way, way much, way, way too much, maybe, way a lot. It's it's so much in these movies. But yeah, and the Battle it's... of Five Armies movie was nothing but that. Do they do they so have this song where notes. there's
3: a whip, there's a way in the in the in the new movies? Because mm. that that was my favorite part of the old movie.
0: No, I think the Rankin-Bass people had rights to that. There probably wasn't much they could do about that.
3: But, oh, okay. You know.
0: yeah. There may have been like nods I'll stick to, to the
3: it. I'll stick to the old ones then.
0: The Howard Shore score might have had like and they're like a do 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 in there somewhere when the orcs were on screen i mean it's possible but um i mean I, the nice thing about the nice thing about the old um the old rankin and bass cartoons is you always knew when goblins are going to show up because there was a beat right, right. <laughs> uh-huh. i think it was actually a brian line it was, it was rock and roll you always you always tell when they were showing up huh. um so dragon treasure one of the things that i was talking about that i think they did um they way overdid did the way oversold it in the hobbit movies but i liked the um Themes revolving around it. The the image, the classic, the iconic image of a dragon with so much treasure that he sleeps on it, right? Right. That every piece of that horde is important to him. There's not a coin in there that that dragon probably doesn't care about, you know? The least bit of copper pieces ain't getting out the door without that dragon being aware of it. And that they have other stuff, Right. So there's a couple of, like, um, thematic assumptions you could make. Either A, that the dragon just, conti- just collects valuables, you know, gold, jewels, whatever, to collect valuables, so that they are valuable, gold and jewels and whatever, and thus the dragon collects them, period. No interest beyond, hey, I got myself some treasure. Right. Or that there are things, like, especially in a sense of, like, D&D, where you have magic items. <clears throat> Excuse me. Where you have magic items, where you have art objects, you know. Other things the dragon might have collected that aren't just basic golden and gemstones and jewelry and electrum and it yeah, I know how important that is to you Joe um that uh i I did give you an item with electrum in it, just for you, perfect, yeah, I know you'd appreciate that <laughs> only electrum in the entire horde, by the way, right um so there is all that uh that that kind of sense of if is the dragon aware of what's valuable, what isn't do they? take an interest in the specific valuables like will a dragon collect an expensive ancient tapestry that's worth a lot of money to somebody? If they wouldn't, why would you end up with it in a fucking dragon horde but the but, the, but the, the, the rolling random rolling shit's gonna give it to you right right. Oh, But do they care about that unless it's coated in gemstones or something? Do, you know? Does
3: the dragon care as much about the tapestry as they do a pile of dirty diapers, which is still part of their hold and just as important to them?
2: Oh. Yeah, that's called lunch. Oh, my. What?
0: Uh, so, <laughs> the point is... <laughs> completely Killed lost. Killed the conversation. The point yes. is completely lost on you guys. The point is... <laughs> The other thing that they did, I think, um, remarkably well in, in the way the movie played out, even if I'm sure there's a lot of criticism about how they played it out, was what they referred to in there as dragon sickness, which is how greed, which manifests more acutely perhaps in dwarves, even as a concept, a racial, (laughs) a racially biased concept that wouldn't be appropriate nowadays, I'm sure. But in a, in a, in a people who are, who focus much of their life and craft around precious metals and gems that are dug out of the earth but that that how that greed takes on a new level of psychological invasiveness for a person who is confronted with so much excuse me my mic died with so much uh treasure and this was even they took it one step further in the description in the in the movie when they talked about it whereas um. Somebody makes a reference to how this this particular horde was lurked over by such a powerful, malevolent creature for so long, and how that has seeped into the treasure. It's become part of the horde, and and there've been all kinds of treated as over the years uh, in rules and uh, and otherwise in the games or in optional stuff that talks about how a dragon's horde is special. Special to them, special whatever, it's affected, it's a part of them, it's extension of them, it's important to them. I love the idea that you know, we we've we've seen flirtations with the idea that dragon hordes don't necessarily have to be gold and gems or whatnot, what what they could hoard other things, which is particularly fun for like dragons that aren't your typical evil, I'm gonna sleep on a pile of treasure dragons. Necessarily. Again, the problem is we start thing.
2: watching the TV show hoarders for inspiration. <laughs>
0: This, dra-
1: oh,
2: this dragon
0: keeps newspapers, lots this of them. This
2: dragon has every TV guide going back to the 1960s.
3: Which is impressive, given that it's not the same world. <laughs> yeah, let's not. Let's not do that. Um,
0: but that's the basic idea, right? The So when you come into possession of a dragon horde, as a game master, I want to bring some level of gravity to it now the first thing that happens if you are using like say the the D books to help guide you there are hoard rules in the dungeon master's guide for randomly rolling treasure you can obviously always decide what you want to distribute i realize that sometimes the random charts are a good way to kind of stay economically grounded within the expectations of the rules by level or whatever because these um treasure hordes are dispersed by challenge rating right and so higher challenge rating creatures of course are going to have larger hordes and they use the term horde, even though we originally kind of associate it with dragons, perhaps we use the term horde to indicate any sort of collective treasure that is more than light creatures might individually carry on them. So I mean, you could uh, white you could uh, have a combat with a um now I'm trying to be pc for some reason. Now you could have a combat with a tribe of hobgoblins, you know, compromise them and get a hold of their uh, treasure in their chief's room. And that would be a hoard, quote unquote. And you would use the hoard chart to roll that if you wanted to and get random amounts of coinage, gems, jewelry, um, valuable objects and uh, maybe magic items and or maybe magic, any of that, some combination thereof. Well, in the Fizban's Book of Dragons, or if that's what it's called, in the Fizban's Dragon but whatever it's, whatever its actual title was uh, for fifth edition, they have different Fiz rules. Band's Treasury of Dragons. Thank you, Gabriel. Just Fizban's Treasury of Dragons. Um, good word. Good word. Out of the sources. Uh, they had rules for dragon hordes. They're a little different. And um, so I found some charts that used those rules and rolled up a dragon horde. Dragon horde is bigger and more interesting than your typical horde for a challenge. And you guys fought a doozy. This particular dragon was like a CR 17 or something. It was up yeah. there. So, you know, pretty good sized dragon horde. And I rolled a couple, three hordes to kind of get what I wanted. And then I made some changes. Now, Here's where it gets interesting. One of the things that interests me as a game master and has for several years. I mean, this goes all the way back to when I was gaming in, um, all the way back to when I was gaming in Dodge City before I moved to Witch before I started these podcasts and anything, when Brian used to game with me. Um, I like making magic items and magic in general special if I can. I don't like generic magical stuff very much. There's a place for it. There's always going to be a place for it in DD because it's a game that, um, Focuses a lot, particularly in previous editions, less than 5th edition, but focuses a lot on gear, on what you have to kind of define your character's abilities. Right. But uh, anymore, a little less the case now, you can you can have characters get to these high levels with little to no magic and still be fully, fully capable characters. Just not as much fun, in my opinion, uh, because magic items are part of the fun of the game. Uh, and this this goes to spells, too, which are a completely different thing. I mean, I love players who get really creative with their spells. Not only selecting unusual spells yesterday, but then reskinning spells, or coming up with new ways to use them, or new things to do with them, or new new uh, you know aesthetics surrounding them. That's always fun. Uh, doesn't doesn't happen with everybody. Not everybody's really kind of into that or comfortable with that or wants to go through all the trouble. You know, I I I have no guidance for that any other than say my personal preference would be if I'm playing a spellcaster to see what I can kind of get away with to tailor them, customize them, make them more me. But <clears throat> That's because as a player, my agency is the character. As a game master, my agency is every fucking thing else. Right. And one of I mean, a lot of the tools that I have that um, I can't easily be ignored, in my estimation, are uh, character backstories. You know, the setting, the back, the, the 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 any meta plot stuff you have going on. If you have that going on, um, the history of the world and things that you can pull in from lore. All of these things that give you the opportunity to inject story and lore into your treasures. And that's, I think, one of the things that I, I love doing in the game. And I, I don't often do it on the fly because I want to really think about it. I want to really cogitate. Sometimes I will make an item that I am definitely planning on a particular PC getting their hands on. Right. Because I see what that player may respond to because I get an idea of um how to engage them, you know, and the player to the character, you know, in the story with each other. And just as importantly, what utility it has. Now, I'll get I'll circle back around to that in a second. But when I create an item, sometimes it's just something that I think is interesting and might have a role in the game or might not. That somebody may take advantage of. Um, there was a book uh, tome that I um, I inserted into a a previous Dragon Horde of my Monday night game that one of the player characters got a hold of. Now this tome's ability, pr- basic power, is that it provides a complete history of a, of a person's experiences throughout their entire life after they tune to it. So you can revisit any memory you've ever had by paging back through the book. Not in itself anything particularly important, unless you were trying to remember details of a thing that might be written. In. It's also going to be depend on the narrative, right? The narrative <laughs> how how trusting how trusting that narrator is, how trustworthy that narrator is, and how detailed they got about shit, right? Which might depend on you know what was happening at the time. But it just so happened that the char- one of the characters in that game, more than one technically, but one. One, very very notably, does not remember his past. Does not remember shit from day to day. That was actually a conceit of Alicia's goblin character, Squelch.
2: Um, we'll forget Squelch got you, to cancel the book. I say Squelch would forget you if he didn't write you down in his book by the next day. Jeez. Squelch, you know. Very cool character, very yeah. interesting
0: relationships. They depend a lot on what has been recorded and what he observes from day to day, which so Squatch's relationship with another PC can change considerably from session to session. Yeah. Given the impetus, but Squatch got a hold of this book and was able to learn all about himself. Now, interestingly enough, Squatch is the only character that doesn't have a great grasp on his backstory. And, um, that item I think is going to come into another use very soon because of that, but. Uh, Joe's in the game, so I don't want to give too much away. I'm
2: not listening. Not listening. Not listening. I'm not listening.
0: But uh, it's just one example. Uh, Another really good example is um, Richard's uh, bard character in our uh, desert game, our Tuesday night game, who uh, got his hands on a rapier that specifically, you know, specifically, I mean, I obviously designed it as a, as as an item that helps bards. I mean, there's no way around it. It is a bard fucking sword. That you are you are the only character that is going to make sense taking advantage of it. Um, you know, so I mean, but you don't look that in the mouth, you know. You don't you don't get that that item in the game and go, "What the fuck is this?" I mean, who the hell is putting magic items in my way that are tuned to me? Um No, that would be the no. dungeon master.
3: <laughs> that that is my most useful item.
0: But and you know, <laughs> you know I didn't have to go
3: <laughs> I didn't have to go way out
0: there to do that either. I mean, it isn't like a super overpowered item or anything. It just does a cool thing. I hadn't seen any other item do that. I think, um, what does Allegra do? Uh, uh, enhance, it like increases your, well, you well remember, it's you magic to begin with. So
3: that's helpful. Um, like, yeah, it's a bonus, and a bonus on the attack and damage. It does increase my bardic inspiration or uh, the opposite, whatever the opposite thing is. It steps up the die one level. I'm already at a D8 now, which I, I wasn't at a D8 when I got this. I'm at a D8 now, so every time I give Bardic Inspiration to somebody, they have a D10. And because of the level I'm at now, they have a D10 until it successfully helps them.
2: Oh wow!
0: Yeah, in Now that's a, is that an ability of your class? Or I don't, or, uh, I don't know
2: if Brenner's that's coming of
3: from the eloquence or the other thing. I'm still in the mat. I'm still trying to open up my character. To... <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not a big deal, but, but it's a
0: really good example of a, of an item that was able to um, give you give you an advantage and an edge that was actually very useful to you in your normal functions in the game. Yeah, not just really as a weapon, was. but enhanced a core bardic ability that you use quite a bit. I love creating magic items that are unique um even if they aren't over the you know super powerful or something or I like creating magic items that are unique in their function
3: but oh it doubles proficiency bonus on charisma checks as well.
0: Nice. Oh, yeah, that's That's so really that, good that, for a bard. That helps
3: with all, yeah, oh some of my charisma checks are insane because as an eloquence bard, I've already got ridiculous amounts of skills in some of these. And my per... Uh, no, no, nope. Yeah, some of them yeah, are like ridiculous. Performance or... Yeah, my performance is running at a plus six before and that. what level are you? What um, level are you guys right now? Like eighth, seventh, or eighth? Uh, so what what am up? I? Yeah, eighth. Yeah, I'm at eighth level. So, <laughs> my I mean, stealth is just
0: about to a yeah, can, divisible by three so it.
1: Vanessa could die.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's coming up, isn't it? Yep. <clears throat> Not looking forward to ninth level, huh? <laughs> but I love I love the uh, quality of doing that. Now there's there's downsides obviously, and one of the things I just mentioned is is kind of one of them. I don't want to feel like the game is tailoring its um treasure to the PCs too much.
2: Now, just for a practical standpoint on tailoring to the PCs, I've done that before. Like I've thought about it. I'm like, oh, there would just be random magical items. It wouldn't just be stuff that the PCs use. So I'm gonna put just random magical items into this hoard, and all that leads to is them going. Well, we can't use this. Let's put it in the bag of holding, and then we're going to spend half a session in town selling this to buy stuff. With uh-huh, yeah. Oh,
3: and my other two attuned items, though, one is a ring of spell storing that I think I bought at some point, and it's like sitting with cure light wounds that I almost never use, just in case I ever need to use it in a pinch. Um, actually, maybe healing words, just so I could use them if I really needed in a pinch. Um. And then the other one's the staff of ruling, which is not tailored to me, uh, it has come in very handy.
0: That's a that is a uh, setting a, a campaign specific item. Right? Uh, the is that what that is the one I from the, the I, temple
3: the pyramid? That makes sense. I, it's always been familiar to me, but then again, I played when this was its adventure was one of the few things you could purchase on the market. So. <laughs>
0: Well, I just mean if you're talking about the um, Amon Ray's Rod of Rulership,
2: uh, it's it, called, yeah, it
0: just it, says Staff of Ruling. So, oh, okay, it's, it works a little. I mean, it, it has some unique powers. Oh, it it's, is Amon it's Ray. Unique, yeah, it's unique to the campaign,
3: uh, to the adventure,
0: and that's that's cool. I mean, I like obviously the West, that stuff tailored great to
3: too. me for sure, but it's definitely come in handy.
0: It's like anybody using the Star Gems or anything, you know, that are that are, that are um, quest items. That's the word I was looking for, like quest items, right? Um, but I do, uh, I do like stuff that I do want to make sure and put stuff in the game that is, that, that is, um, if not unique is at least flavored for the game in some fashion and useful because where it can sometimes be really cool to put items that are just uniquely flavorful and interesting into play. Once they're there, they serve no purpose. Right. If there's no utility to it. If it's just going to be something. Oh look, I have this pretty thing that I just stuck in my bag of holding and I never look at again. And then seventeen le- levels later, you find it and go, "What the hell is this? I don't know where I got this." Right. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes those things are there. I mean, there's um one of the games. I think it's I think it's Gwen. So it's probably the D and D game on Monday night. There's a a stones board, a board game board, you know, that I- um. Vaguely out.
2: remember her getting that.
0: Yeah, again from a dragon treasure. It's like because when I roll the dragon treasure and I get like weird like art items or like magic items, I go through and I just start changing them. Okay, we're gonna do this here. We're gonna do this here. Well, and the art items, I always do a thing where I start tailoring to the world in some fashion if I can, or if not every single one of them because I don't want to go overboard. But for example, um I randomly rolled a thing with like seven candlesticks with different symbols on them. Yes. So it's like, oh, perfect. There are seven gods in this pantheon that the characters know about. So I'm going to decide real quick what the symbols for the other gods are that haven't come up yet and mm-hmm. make it so that each candlestick has a symbol on it that, you know, relates to one of these gods. And then somebody, of course, as soon as you guys saw them, somebody put two and two together went, wait a minute, what are the other, what are those symbols? Because that one is that one lady. We know that is real symbol. We know that one. So... What about that one, and that one, and that one, and that one? Good
3: if, example. If you light six of the seven candles, do you piss off one of the gods?
0: <laughs> and I don't know if you if you have that up in front of you, Joe, because I see you looking at your computer.
2: Oh, I had um, it a minute ago. I was actually on my character sheet because you were saying about, like, I just remembered I have a magical item that I've had. I don't even remember where I got it. And I've oh, yeah? never used. It's the Necklace of adaptation. Necklace of Adaptation? Adaptation, sorry. And it's, no, yeah, that's a classic. Yeah, I've had that in my inventory. I don't even—I think I might have got it out of the the Blue Dragon's hoard, but I don't remember for sure. And I've just never used it. It's just been in my inventory since then.
0: I've got, i just wanted to double check real quick and make sure I've I was right. Scrolls. Yeah, the seven
2: candlesticks are not magical. So you know,
0: scrolls. Yeah, uh, there's, there's things like that that always end up your inventory that you may or may not ever have use for. And most of the time, because they're just sitting there in an inventory that is otherwise getting packed with random stuff. You're not going to remember you have them, even if they would be useful.
3: Yeah. I blame it on every time I go through my inventory, I see the scroll of confusion, forget what I'm doing, and go do something else.
2: <laughs> hey, I do have that list up. You actually do have the candlesticks listed as a magical item in there.
3: Oh, oh cool. But, okay. So, so they're magical, and you can piss off a god by lighting all by one.
2: Right.
0: I probably rolled them as a mundane, valuable, and decided to make them a magic item. They're probably a, ma- a minor magic of some kind. but um, They make
2: the candles last twice as long.
0: Uh, whatever. Uh, there was like a, a brooch, I think. I'm looking at my, my raw data one here. I'm not here, at the I got it right here if you, you want the magical
2: items. A hollow metal tube. An arcane, an arcane spell scroll. Prayer of beads. Yep, in which I decided what they were. An iron belt inlaid with runes. I know what that is. Mm-hmm. All of those candlesticks. Yep, okay. A small ornate cube engraved with sigils on each face.
0: That's going to be fantastic when you guys figure out what that
2: is. That sounds fun. And then bracers marked with the rune of protection. Which, that one's pretty generic. Yeah. <laughs> you had too many words in there. You could just put bracers of protection. <laughs> Um, no, uh, racers of no.
0: defense
2: <laughs> was, Oh, defense, yeah <laughs> That would be no fun But I was trying to give
0: you guys descriptive stuff, obviously Because you don't know what's what But then, like, some of the I mean, the dragon had, like like, a spinning wheel And, like, a map from yeah. a previous era, you know and I um, noticed
2: that the, uh, the Electrum <laughs> Filigree is on a birdcage, which feels targeted. Great. Mm, so now yeah,
3: That came up randomly, and I was like, that's perfect. Now if you light six of the seven candles and you piss off one of the gods, one of you guys is going to poke yourself on the spindle and fall asleep, and everybody else is going to be
2: trapped in the castle. Now I need to find the eighth candlestick for my patron, who's one of the fallen gods
0: won't be a problem, because if that's Joe's character, then Joe's character is married to an NPC that she absolutely ignores. Yes, all the time. Who will finally have an opportunity to come save the day as he's been relishing. (laughs) He's been in his heart. He has dreams at night where he could save her from some sort of like terrible thing, like some sort of (laughs) prince out of a story because she doesn't pay him a single moment's attention.
3: And he can poor wake shit. her up poor, with a kiss and then Adrian. get a uh, lawsuit for inappropriate. Wake up.
2: If he woke yeah, me up with a kiss, he'd get a me. knife to the stomach.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for waking me up. Could somebody uh, please heal him?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I can stab him again?
0: <laughs>
2: Sleeping Yeah, it, was, uh, it was kind of fun. <laughs> but
0: I do love the idea that uh, like, there was a, a kneeling bench in the Dragon's Horde. It's ornate. It's worth something. The dragon insisted any any of his followers that came to visit him, supplicants, would, uh, of course, use the dealing bench. It's right there. I mean, why not, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, you know, stuff like the map was something that was interesting to the dragon, especially because the dragon had been around in the previous age. The world was very different then. Uh, I don't know. I, it's just, it's interesting to me to to put at least some of the things together in a way that relates to the world, especially anything that I can use to evoke the history, the setting, um and, and it varies, right? I mean, uh, like in um, one of the earlier adventures in that campaign, I gave, um, I, we had a, an NPC who gave out some magical gifts, you know, all Galadriel style, right? You guys are going oh, on the my. journey. Here's some magical gifts. Um, and uh, one of those was a sword that was given to Nero's character, Gwen, That is, uh, that was called the Sword of Espers. It was crafted by these mythical creature beings from another era that are, that are all but extinct now, right? Nobody knows what happened to them. Turns out later in the campaign, not too much later, but later in the campaign, she finds out that the espers were responsible somehow for the magic of the boundary between worlds and the sword could be used to cut through it, which she properly did. Yeah. Moving me further into the campaign, (laughs) you know, things like that, you know, ways to kind of make magic items matter. I mean, that sword could have done nothing else special. I don't know without pulling it up if it does, even if it's just like an otherwise it's just a plus one long sword or something. It may not do anything else terribly special, but it had this history to it, right? Right. It had this uh, this lore behind it. Now, I'm not saying every mundane, you know, oh, look, this is a rock that keeps crickets away, needs to have this long storied history about how the <laughs> cricket god angered the person who made the rock, you know? But I mean, anything that has been crafted by somebody magically it should have some sort of rationale behind it, right? Some sort of reason for its existence. You know, people don't usually make magic items out of idle curiosity. I mean, it's possible. I'm not saying it's out of the question, particularly for those scholarly types that just want to see what they could do. But... Like Oppenheimer. I am become death. Destroy the worlds. <laughs>
1: mm.
3: There's a magic item you don't want to play with.
0: <laughs> so it's an, it's an idea I kind of wanted to put in front of Game Masters might be listening.
3: What have you done... That,
0: um, you know, that bridges the gap between the mundane equipment that ends up on people's character sheets and the world around them. The character's personal history or personal needs or the uh, story surrounding them in the campaign that they're in and the, the adventure that they're in, the world that they're part of. Um, the society, the gods, what have you, you know, and it doesn't have to be, I mean, this doesn't have to, um, be restrictive, obviously, to just, you know, even just fantasy adventure, which is the obvious place for it. You know, think about running post apocalyptic games where you get little pieces that reveal parts of the old world. You know, if you run a campaign where all the PCs know, all the players know is that they're in some, you know, you know the, the earth has gone to shit and they're just there in the future and there's, there's, um, uh, the zombie apocalypse as long as it happened and there's, you know, survival's not really much. You know, that, that's everything that's going on, right? And then they come across a piece of architecture as something that makes them realize Logan's Run style that they're actually in a notable place. Oh, now you've know, gone and
1: spoiled um, Logan's Run. I see how it is. <laughs>
3: Uh, <laughs> it's been a few decades the movie you came out in 1973 <laughs> okay that's quite a few so, decades spoiler warning
0: <laughs> it was actually one of my favorite um favorite it was, it was actually at the time that i first saw it cuz i was pretty young the first time i saw it it was my favorite thing about that movie was when they started showing you stuff then you realized they were in Washington, D.C. I'm like, oh my God, I know what that is. I Suddenly I'm bridging it to the world I know when the entirety of their world was encapsulated in this cave, underground system or something. Just nothing. They they were a little bitty world, right? Where just a handful of people really had survived. And then they find out there's this broader world out there and that it's
2: okay-ish. So this is one I should add to my list because I haven't seen it yet.
0: Mm. What? It's, it's I old. Know. What? I haven't it's seen Logan Throne. It's very much needs a remake. I would love to see a series, actually, uh, based on the original
3: um, fiction. Yeah. Because it's uh, it a cool story. I could see how that would... A, a series might be interesting. I have to open up my well, mind particularly, it's going to be a little bit different, but yeah.
0: Particularly since they, they really made some changes from the story to the movie at the time, which I mean, that happens. Obviously, we
3: talked about that. It happens with right. like every adaptation. I haven't read the book, so...
0: But... Um, in the original story, like, nobody lived past 21. Well, they hired Michael York to play the main character, and at the time, there was no way he was going to pass 21.
3: Oh, um, see? So they decided 30 instead. At the moment I turned exactly 30 years old, I was in an airplane touching down at Dallas-Fort Worth, and I was thinking about Logan's run as the airplane hit that's, the that's runway. When you noticed that. Because the, I'm like, oh, the, well, the I die The on the back of your hand was <laughs> <laughs> starting to flash. <laughs> Uh huh. Yeah, my mom you know, did not appreciate Sandman me talking for me. about that while she was in <laughs> the plane with her. There
1: are rumors of a Logan's Run remake happening. Just saying, There's there
3: are rumors of everything of being Logan's remade.
0: Yeah, but no, that one's been persisting for years now. Brian Singer was making a huge effort for it um, back when he was working like on Superman Returns and stuff like early
3: mid two thousands. I wonder if he could That's find a a on the Apparently, Jackman
1: is in negotiations to play the bad guy. Whatever that. Hey, a
3: uh, oh nice a hey, uh, bad guy. A remake same, of Metropolis that would be funny <laughs> well yeah, there you go even less sense
0: I mean maybe okay. but <laughs> but my point is that even then um, in like sci-fi games and futuristic games and post-apocalyptic games you can do things that relate to the setting uh, relate to the story relate to something you know they do it a lot in Star Wars so like every every movie seems to have a gimmick or every TV show seems to have a gimmick that relates some, somehow to expanding into the games do it too of course like the video games and stuff like, think about every time somebody finds, like, a star map or a holocron or something that gives them information that's vital to their particular quest in the story. You know, it's, it was the entire like premise behind the freaking sequels. It's like, okay, you know, we we need we need more shit for them to find that special that that relates to their specific need. Right. Now, fortunately, this is stuff they were going out and looking for. It's actual quest items, not just kind of like randomly came. You know, here's that map to Luke Skywalker. I didn't realize I needed so badly until right this moment. Would
3: <laughs> would have changed things a tad, you know, Here we instead are on of being some the random thing.
2: planet with this lady with big ass eyes. But for some reason, she has a lightsaber.
3: Right, it's an outdated map, and it actually points to Dagobah. Right.
2: <laughs> Luke,
0: Luke had not been here in a while. <laughs> hmm, hmm. <laughs> of course, a little you may be. Um, so, <laughs> the lightsaber is actually a really cool example too. Uh, that Moskiton had in storage. She had Luke's, uh, a lightsaber that he lost on, um, uh, in Sky City and Cloud City. Yeah. Yeah. They lost on Bespin, uh, in her, you know, in her storage locker down there that it called the Ray. And I'm like, that's a really kind of cool example of a, you know, an item that has lore kind of built into it. And even then it had so much more because of the whole force issue and stuff, but Yeah, yeah, merits of which can be argued in ad ad infinitum by, you know, various
2: fans. And they have been. And detractors. (laughs) No one hates Star Wars more than a Star Wars fan.
0: Oh, God. And I love Star Wars. I love all of it. And I am. I am, I I. don't want to be an apologist because it's not worth the time or trouble out there at this point, but my God, if people would just kind of let go and fucking enjoy it for what it is, I would
2: be so happy. <laughs>
0: You're expecting too much.
2: That's what yeah. I have to do. I,
0: that's that, that's fine. That's a nerd thing, and I'm not going to dog it. Honestly. Another really
2: another mad. reason not to use social media. Oh, whatever. I'll still never forgive episode one. I respect one. you, Otherwise, Joe. I'm fine. I respect you.
0: Yeah. Hmm. I, I love it all. I love it all. And I love the shows, too. And there's various reactions to that, too. I mean, and, and to be fair, some of it's better than other things. And I, I'm I'm fairly capable of being critical of the things that I see that there are to be critical about as well. Doesn't keep me from enjoying the hell out of them. And there's decisions that have been made, you know, by these storytellers that a lot of people don't agree with. And I understand that entirely. I, I absolutely understand that. You know, and I loved a lot of the novels that have been invalidated by their changes to the world. To the setting, and I, I'm, you know, I'm just okay with that too. Because I think if you're going to enjoy the material, you got to be. Yeah. Uh, we're all talking about Wheel of Time right now because when we record this, uh, the first three episodes of season two just dropped, and like uh, the adaptation of Wheel of Time is one of those things that is a hot topic for us because several of us, uh, most of us, all of us here on the show today have read at least some of it, and I mean, it's it's uh, different. You know, the show is different. Spiritually, I really like what they're doing with the show. I'm sure there's a lot of fans that do not, and there's a lot of fans, uh, you know, hardcore fans of the series that are very unhappy with season one. And uh, it's a different even then, medium;
1: it's not going to yeah. be able to tell yeah. the same story.
0: Even then, they're, they're you know most of those are tuning into season two, hoping for something, hoping for something better. And uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm right there with them, honestly, but I don't hate what they've done by any stretch. In fact, having recently watched it all again in preparation for the new season coming out, I appreciated it more this time. I think because I was no longer, you know, trying to figure out what they were changing from my beloved story, what they were kind of, you know, breaking and, 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 and rearranging and stuff and just was able to kind of like watch the story and this time i was watching it with my with my oldest and she was enjoying it for the first time she hasn't read the book so i have tried to look at it through her eyes and occasionally i'd find myself saying things like well you know this is what happened in the books here kind of thing and just kind of talking about it but and she showed a mild curiosity in that but
2: it doesn't matter because <laughs> that's not the version of the story she's going to get right she's not a reader so i mean uh, it, it has yeah. to change when it changes mediums because that's what works i mean A great example is all of the different versions of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy between movies and TV shows and radio shows. Radio plays, yeah. Radio plays and the books. And every last one is different because it's tailored for the medium it's in. The Infocom game.
3: And the only one (laughs) I didn't really care for was the movie. I loved the movie.
0: (laughs) And here's what we found out doing Exposition Street. If you never listen to our show, you should go listen to it. Where we talk about movies all the time. But um, we have such a diverse opinions about the products, you know, about the movies that we watch. And uh, the more we've gotten to know each other and know how we feel about these movies, the more we've distilled that down to a lot of various um, relatable and predictable factors in some cases. Like um, we were talking today about how we have different response to different directors, you know, things like that. <laughs> I feel like. Um, that really enriches the experience one of the things I find interesting is that when you take a property you do an adaptation you do a um, what do they call it when they do it again a remake or remake thank you yeah a remake you do a remake you do a, a new adaptation because like like with the hitchhiker's guide for example the old shows were quite a ways back and then they do the, movie uh, the old and, like, BBC tv tv
2: show was great though Oh, uh, it was terrible oh i know, well, but know- it was great <laughs> <laughs> i agree it was terrible but it was fantastically terrible but
0: but i enjoyed the hell out of the movie vanessa started the same camp there i enjoyed the hell out of the movie but I also enjoyed those books immensely back when I was in high school. I mean, I, I really connected with the material at the time. I was like, this is just so smart and so fun and so interesting. And here we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but a good one, a really, a really interesting one we talked about is Lost in Space, for example, which is a, a show that Richard really connected with the... Source material on because of that because he's a little bit older than me he uh, was watching it on syndication when he was young you know he built a relationship with that material
3: almost more than I did Star Trek
0: I did not I mean I saw maybe the occasional episode but I did not right so later on when the movie came out in the nineties that was my first real exposure to any part of that story of any significance wasn't a really good version of it No. no. Vanessa loved I that movie. I love that movie. <laughs> but she was yeah. also the right age, right? <laughs> yeah. You were talking about a sci-fi movie in the in the late nineties, right? It wasn't it mid late nineties. 98. So, I, mean,
2: I was just looking it up right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I mean, that's your teenage years, right?
2: I was ten. <laughs>
0: ten. So not even your preteen years. I mean, yeah. really, really the right age for it. And then one of the characters was even close to that age, with, yeah. and they focus on that a lot. They play that up. I loved the new series that Netflix did a few years ago.
3: That's the version of it. And I know Richard enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because I let myself go like I did with the Wheel of Time series. I I let myself go is going to be
0: different. I know other hardcore fans of that original series that did not appreciate that new shit. A lot. And, and there'd be very specific, obvious reasons, like them entirely changing Dr. Smith in every way you could possibly imagine.
3: I do appreciate what they did, though. Mm. But yeah, it is a completely different story. It's, it's very not the same very show different. at all. But I loved it.
0: I, I liked the the theme and the feel of it so much better than anything I'd seen them do with the property prior to that ostensibly adaptations of the same material yeah but very adapted i mean
3: (laughs) they were in that case they're in different worlds like with real time between the series and the book i'm like at least i could see they're in the same world if the story's playing differently in the the new series of lost in space and the old series of lost in space they are not in the same world at all
0: they're not even trying.
3: The right? only yeah. the only thing they have in common is that they originated from Earth in the future. Uh,
0: I mean, I also you see a lot of people talking about wanting to make remakes of stuff that didn't work. Or there were bad original versions of adaptations, like Aragon, for example. Wow. Yeah, you mentioned movie.
1: the one that I care about.
3: Yeah, it was awful. <laughs> God, it was so bad. Terrible movie. That. They should do an actual that- adaptation of Aragon.
2: Yeah, I and think so. they
3: should do a series.
2: The after series the series talking would be about better. doing a series, series
0: would be they do do a series. Yeah. Um, his Dark Materials worked out real well as oh a series. Oh my god, it was so, so good as a
2: series. It was um, an okay just, movie. So, it wasn't a. I did not like. The I movie. didn't
0: care for <laughs> the Golden Compass. The movie. I mean, I think I. I think I was okay with it. I think I enjoyed it okay at the theater when we saw it. and I remember zip about
2: it after that. A I movie so bad anything. that the author changed the title of his book. Well. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> well, um, the book was called The Golden Compass here in the U.S. and other places it ha- was not. After that hmm. movie, they switched the U.S. title to the, the overseas title. Oh, interesting. See,
1: see, I got the book before, it was before the movie came out. and I, I right. even read the books before the movie came out, and I still like the movie for what it is.
0: Still publishing the series books, is still
1: infinitely better,
0: <laughs> yes. Still publishing books, by the way. He's still working on new
2: books, yeah. So, yeah, now the, the first series. book is called The Northern Lights huh. in the U.S., and that's what it was called overseas before the And but, you to be yeah. fair, that's a good title, As a title too. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had to look it up because I couldn't remember it off the top of my head, but yeah, Northern Lights is Golden Compass, which
0: I mean. I particularly like, since the compass continued to be important to the entire series, right? Yeah. I mean, it was a it was a, it was was a, a MacGuffin. Yeah. I mean,
1: to be fair, in the, the books, it was the golden compass, the subtle knife, and the amber spyglass, amber spyglass. which are all tools that become mm-hmm. relevant in their books.
0: Oh, uh, good right. point. There's a certain continuity to that, too. I can see their decision. I mean, like I said, I didn't think the movie was that great. And I was sad about it at the time, because I liked some of the actors in it a lot. But what can you do?
1: Maybe that was the saving grace in it. I liked a lot of the actors. (laughs) I need to give it a rewatch recently.
0: Not that any of that matters to our current audience, who's here to listen to us talk about role-playing games, I guess. (laughs) I'm sorry, I forgot you guys were here. I see you out there I don't know
3: of a Golden Compass role-play game. (laughs) That's okay. I do have the John Carter one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, what's with that?
1: Is there a Golden Compass role-playing game? Because I would totally play in
3: that I world. would not be surprised.
0: Once again, if you'd like to add anything to the conversation, please feel free to drop us a line, feedback at prismatictsunami.com. That's feedback at prismatictsunami.com. And uh, be sure to check out, I mean, we talked about a little bit, and I try not to hammer on much, but make sure you check out Exposition Street if you like movies. Expos- if I can talk, Exposition Street, if you like movies. Um, every week we cover a different uh, kind of uh genre or geek or cult movie that we just want to talk about and uh you can always make recommendations if there's a movie you'd like to hear us talk about feel free to tune into the show first and see if you would like the kinds of shit we say because you know if you're just going to throw movies at us and they never listen screw you buddy yeah. but um <gasps> it's also more family friendly show than this one is uh yep. I, I think i said family ah, usually <laughs> we've been talking i've been talking too long uh, yeah i got to work on my voice <laughs> Um, but definitely check it out. It's at expositionstreet.prismatic.sanami.com and, um, let us know what you think. I mean, we don't, we don't get it because we're just talking movies all that. I mean, we got a few people that talk to us pretty regularly on a Discord, but we don't get a ton of feedback on that show. Just like, you know, kind of do this or do that. Uh, we'd like to know what people think of the show. Uh, just because, you know, we like to hear people talk about us. That's why we do this shit. And, uh, that'll be fun. So, uh, we've been missing Kid lately though. That sucks. Yeah it's just it's just been four of us lately i mean richard and vanessa and jason and i we have a good time but it feels like we're missing a limb doesn't it for sure we're kind of limping along so if you're listening kid what the fuck is your problem uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to episode number well, i don't what i said 192 192 292 what what is it 292. 292 292 thank you Sorry. thank you i was trying to remember what hundred i was in uh, it's not like we've been doing the show for like thirteen
2: We're years. Almost or up to three hundred. Yeah.
0: Oh, dude! any time now, we got to do something special um, when it happens in like January at this rate. <sighs> uh, anyway, thank you for listening to episode number two hundred ninety-two of Metagamers Anonymous. Uh, everybody have a fantastic week. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Joe. Good
1: yeah, evening,
0: Good night. Everybody.